Welcome to Echoes Down the Road, a podcast presented by the band West of House. My name is Tommy, and today we bring you episode 10, where we will be breaking down the song Echoes Down the Road from our debut album, Crescendo of Silence. So join me and the entire band where Eric, Lance, Kevin, Dave, and I are unpacking this rocking song and its deep and introspective lyrics, and is the namesake of this fabulous podcast. Well, welcome back, Westies. This is episode 10 of Echoes Down the Road, and in a fortuitous bit of irony, today we will be talking about Echoes Down the Road, the very song for which this podcast is named, so your expectations are probably very high at this point. Probably too high. Definitely too high. It, it would be smart if you lowered them right now, because then there's nowhere to go but up. Wait. No, it's episode 10. Their expectations are not as high as they once were, I'm sure. Well, if they skipped one through nine, oh, well, yeah. then they'd That's be starting true. a baseline. But to start us off, my name is Eric. <laughs> and my name is Lance. This is Tommy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Dave. Full house again, people. A full house Love again. Wow. We're going to have a good time. So there's only one way to start it off. Yeah. Oh, that's my favorite sound. Eric, what you drinking over there, my friend? Oh, it is a special occasion today. This is Focal Banger. It is. (laughs) That's an album title, is what that is. It makes me uncomfortable. It is an IPA from Vermont, from Alchemist. Very hard to get in California and really neck and neck in being my number one. You know. The last time I had Focal Banger, I got it from a man's van in a parking lot. <laughs> and he opened up the slider. That, that whole comment he is said, a roller coaster from start to finish. <laughs> he said, hey, would you like to try this in his little mini fridge? We were showing off each other's sprinters. That's a van. And he <laughs> let me into his lair. And he gave, <laughs> and he gave me a nice cool can of focal banger and suddenly for the first time i'm happy we're all social distancing (laughs) the the funny thing is everything about that story is legitimately true there is there's no shenanigans going on i because i remember the story yeah he was a brewer at uh noble ales and we ended up in the parking lot with both our vans in hand And the rest is, is folklore, my friends. So here's my and contribution. Innuendo. Yeah. Right? The rest I don't was know uh, what cleaned you're... up with an ointment of sorts. Yeah. I don't know what any of you are talking about. But um, my music to the band. Oh. It was okay. I, there's a lot of low end on yours. That's okay. Because you play I'm, bass. Uh, I'm speaking here to the Founders Brewery of an all-day IPA. Because it's late at night now. And I don't want to... Have a too work- rough of a night. Well, it's a work night for you. So, I understand. Absolutely. Well, I guess, fitting with the theological theme, uh, I don't have a can of anything, because... You're drinking the blood of the martyrs? Uh, no, it's a whiskey called Angel's Envy. Oh, that's so good. That is good stuff. It's aged in a... Is it sherry? Port? Oh, I love port. Uh, port... Oh, Portuguese port wine barrels. Oh, yes. Port is a magical substance. And I can see Port's Kevin awesome. sipping on something. 
Gavin is. Right. What, what you got there, Gav? Is uh, just a little bit of Buffalo Trace. Perfect. Yeah, man. Uh, aged in Lance's Sprinter van. Yes. <laughs> aged in Lance's Focal Banger. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but the best. And Tommy, warm milk as usual? Uh, you know, I, I thought we weren't going to talk about that. I was going to make a comment about leftist tears, but... Well, let's move on here. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're starting out good. We're, we're going to have a good conversation today, folks. So what we've been doing, uh, we've been inviting you guys to listen to the song kind of before we dive into it. It's a fun way. So if you have the CD or streaming music uh, apparatus in front of you, go ahead and search up Echoes Down the Road and take a listen. Echoes Down the Road, it was the final song recorded for Crescendo of Silence. It was written, though, quite early in the process, April. Uh, April 27th, and you're probably wondering how I can remember that date. Well, one, it's easy because it's time-stamped on every one of our files. But, <laughs> but two, the writing process to this really stands out because it was written in 3 minutes and 38 seconds, the music for this song, which is the length of the song. And I'll explain that in a bit. You guys kind of know? You guys know the story of what happened with this one, don't you? Have we talked about that? I do not remember. Mm-mm. Well, it's, it'll be new for you. So we've talked, we've talked in other episodes how I did a lot of stream of consciousness uh, writing, especially with the lyrics for this album. So with, with Echoes, I had just finished writing Chasing After Memories. We had just finished recording Turn of Phrase, two of our slower songs. So I was in an upbeat kind of mood. And I just had three chords in my head, C-sharp minor, E, and A. You know, standard, good, happy, fun chords for everyone. So I pushed record with the intention of just laying those three chords, of a system of phrases down so I wouldn't forget it, and just started playing. While I was playing, and musicians out there, you'll, you'll probably be able to commiserate with this, I started humming a melody and play that intro, and then just switched it up. Do something that became a pre-chorus. Went back to that intro, which was now a verse. Pre-chorus again, off to a chorus. Threw a bridge in off the top of my head. And in three minutes and 38 seconds, the song was over. And really, at the time, I didn't even know that I had a full song. So I listened to it back. And lo and behold, there's an entire song there. So I kind of, I called it, If I Told You. That was the working demo for this one. Because those, that was a phrase that just kept coming to my head. And it was really the strangest writing period for a song that I think I've ever experienced. Because how does a song get written in 338? It's some kind of what, dark magic, Sounds like a caliber for a gun. Mm-hmm. A 38 special? Or 308. There is a 338. Uh, Rifle round that's for long range target shooting, like mile plus. Look at that. So you're right. Pierces your heart. So maybe maybe the working title should have been ammo down the road. There you go. (laughs) Or bullets lead down the road. Whoa, big time. With the double meaning of lead. That would that would have played well in uh, Middle America or Middle Earth. (laughs) 
Either way. Middle Earth. I'm not sure they had not sure they had rounds. Would have been arrows down the road. Sure, they just had balrogs. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of balrogs in the West of House Tunes. You just have to dig deep into the lyrics to see where they're hiding. Like so, so we, <laughs> we have this song and it's called If I Told You, and we still got the demo. So here is the demo. First take. Uh, the music for it, the lyrics came a little later. And here we go. Take a listen. demo it's it still kind of blows me away that that's just what came out and you can hear it i mean it's sloppy there's mistakes all over it and which is fine for a demo because the point is to put that idea down well we don't use tape anymore but we still use the colloquialism to put the idea down on tape so it's there so i got really excited and i sent it out to the guys who as they usually do said absolutely nothing crickets Sometimes I, sometimes I get a cool, maybe, from Lance. <laughs> Give you thumbs up. Well, you, you send a lot of info. I know for me, when I'm recording parts and, you know, we're doing 10 or 12 songs and, and all that, I don't listen to them all. I just listen to the one I'm working on. And then I go and I listen to the next one. And I don't know if maybe that's just how I am and you guys aren't that way, but you send a bunch of stuff and a bunch of ideas or people are starting to do things to different songs. Hey, check this out. Check this out. And I just don't usually listen to it till I'm ready to work on that song. Maybe my brain cells for a drummer are different. There's so, so many, uh, so many sound files that you send us sometimes. They just get, I'm terrible at organizing. Like it's everything. a glut, an avalanche, a cavalcade of audiotopia. Another word we've made up. Wait, wasn't that a ride at Disneyland? Autotopia? Shut up. Wow. Tommy. You're done. You're done, Tommy. Unplug. Did I mute my mic now? Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Just Tommy. Hang up. Yeah. No, that's, that's true, Kev. There's, there was a lot going on at the time. And I mean, I was throwing songs at you guys right or left. And I think we talked about it in the Moving Shadows episode. You know, I, I put down this demo and, and in my head, I'm hearing the complete song. And you're hearing, you know, like a, an out-of-tune vocal or some missed chords or sometimes even the wrong chord that I'll say, Lance, play the right one. You knew what I meant. That did come out quite a bit. Uh, and so it's, you know, I'm sure when you guys push play, you're like, well, what the hell is this crap? This isn't even that good. But I swear in my head, it's wonderful. It's like when I sent you guys, you know, an acoustic version of Voyeuristic. And then what that ended up becoming. Yeah, as Tommy says, after we finish every song, I freaking love this song. You know, it's, it becomes your favorite thing because of what it started as and then what it becomes as that journey goes on. Yeah, I think this time you were very prolific in your writing. And like Kevin mentioned, you were sending a lot. Some weeks it was multiple tracks. Some days it was multiple things. 
They all have so the, I, I, some weird names also. Maybe we should get like a list of the, the demo track names. And post that <laughs> Gro- Groove Horse. <laughs> yeah, we did have a lot. There's a few horses oh, there's some, in there. There's, yeah, there were two horses, I think, and well, we've got some weird names for uh, maybe a new album. I don't know. Did I say that out loud? Did that happen? It did. That's it's called a tease. Yeah, let's let's we'll tease that more in episode twelve. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so we finish the song. I send it out. You know, it's kind of crickets, but it's fine. I think I moved on right to something else, uh, something I wrote maybe for the EP or the new album. Who knows what was going to my head? Uh, then the song sits just for a few months because during that time we have uh, well we finished memories. I think we were jumping into Denmark. We had that whole debacle, uh, Carry Your Dreams, Holy Ghost did, that, those are all done. Moving Shadows, all done in there, and Echoes just sits like a, a forlorn lost child in the woods, similar to Antler Boy on the album cover. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a visual representation of Echoes Down the Road just waiting to be finished. And just to be fair, Eric, I've never once thought this sucks. So... I think so I have something one, to aspire to. Right, right. You should produce something that sucks. But no, I mean, this song was, like you said, after a couple slower ones, and it was very refreshing. I do remember when I first heard it, it was like, oh, what a cool song to throw at the end of an album or somewhere at the end of this production where it's driving, it's super exciting, it's got energy. And I remember it going together pretty fast once I finally actually downloaded it and started putting some stuff together because it is a straight rocker that was fun and refreshing after a couple slower ballads well it's kind of a digression but where it sits in the album that that was an interesting conversation too because you know like I said that that's a rocking song that's like you know one two three track you know placement and we very purposely put it in position nine on the album, uh, not to hide it. It's not a, it's not a B side or anything like that. This is, it could be a great, a single, the hooks are great. The song short, you know, opens the door, punches you in the face and leaves. It's perfect for a single, but we kind of wanted to set that up. Cause you get to that second side of the album and it starts out with Holy ghosted, which is a whole oral, oral, a U R A L experience. Uh, then turn a phrase, which is kind of strange. And then you've got Fallen, you know, which is mid-tempo. And then, you know, Echoes hits with those first few chords. And it, it really builds up before the album takes you out with Voyeuristic. So really, that's side two of the album uh, all over the place in a, in a good way. When it kind of makes a statement, there's a, a lot of times people will, like commercial artists, they'll put their strongest songs up front, especially now that we don't have sides of tapes um, anymore. So they'll front load what they think, okay, if someone's only going to listen to this album for one or two songs, we want to hit them hard. And then sometimes the rest of the tracks just feel like they're phoned in. Whereas this was more of a deliberate choice. Like, no, we've got good tunes all the way through the album. We don't have to worry about spending them all at once. There's a little-known theory, because it's mine, so no one else knows it, I think. But if you want to see how good a band really is, you check out their second-to-last track on their album. 
because that's where most bands hide their dross. They hide the songs that, you know, no one wants to hear, and then they end strong. I used to make, uh, I, I make way too many playlists. If you follow me on Spotify, God to help you. But I have playlists dedicated to the second to last songs of albums. Just because that's how my mind works. And the greatest bands, those second to last songs are some of my favorites. You are quite the musical nerd. That is an <laughs> impressive uh, craft you have made. A niche, I must say. It's, it, it's something. I can, I can say that I'm guilty of that. I'll be honest. When I did my album in 2010, like the, the second to last song on the record is the one that I like the least, going back and listening to it. Hiding your stuff, Dave. Never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Write better things. No, I agree. I remember when we were putting this album... <laughs> <laughs> when we put this Thanks, album together, Dick. yeah, sorry. What? I was just, you know, we put this album together and I was super, super excited when it quickly realized to have balance, we needed to have, I mean, we had so many strong songs and partly why we have a lot of a second album kind of ready. It was so cool to put this kind of a song on the second side and where it finally fell, it was like, oh my gosh, this album is so strong and so deep. And the balance is absolutely perfect, argued to say flawless. Um, I, I was stoked to have Echoes, because it is a first side, top three kind of a song. And so, my God, we just, I feel like we're better than I assumed we were, just by the fact that we created all this stuff and, and where they all played out. It's such a great balance, and I'm glad it is the second to last. Yeah, in one iteration of the, of the song order, uh, I had Echoes at three. For, for quite a long time. And that was back when it was still the demo, before we did anything. And, you know, going back to that demo, uh, the other guys were busy, you know, we're getting into mixing, and, and, and Dave's... Had, had you joined the band yet, Dave? Or were we... You and I, I were, you know... I don't think so. We were still in talks about that. Taught little and, verbal yeah, was, contracts. And, yeah, it was like, okay, Shadows was awesome, and that was a victory. And if it had just been that, we all could have like walked away happy content with ourselves and then i think it it might have been denmark where you're like hey i need you to do a solo can you put a solo on this track so i was like okay cool at that point i was still kind of in in session mode but then after that you came to me with the the demo for this and said hey want to do another song and i was like hell why not but at that point, we were still doing, we were still doing it from almost a, a session player perspective. Like, hey, here's, here's the demo. Clean it up. See what you think. Add to it, et cetera. And I think after that, Eric, you and I were like, you know, we got we to gotta try and formalize this. Dave, was this your second song then? Is that what you're saying? When, after Shadows? The second full song, yes. Okay. Yeah, because he did... I don't know when you did the Denmark solo. I think, I think the Denmark solo was actually before Shadows. No, actually, you know what? No, I'm wrong. Uh, rhythms to this was done before the Denmark solo. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Denmark yeah, came but, back but from But you guys, the other guys didn't take a hold of it. So it's, it's funny, you made a, you said the word cleaner, cleaning, which is funny because one of my nicknames, you people don't know, and Dave probably doesn't know until the second, is I call him the cleaner. Uh, which is ironically, I think, a song that you are working on right now. That's a working title. It is. It's called The Cleaner. I don't know if that'll be about Dave. Who knows? 
But so when I do my crappy demo and it's got all the mistakes in it and, you know, I've got really bad carpal tunnel and some days I have good days and some days are bad days. And this one was a bad day. And I said, you know what, Dave, I want you to do the guitars for this one. So everything's there. You know, he charts it out. He knows what I play. And I just gave it to Dave. And Dave, the, the guitars you hear, you know, on the track now, those are all Dave's guitars. And he laid down, I don't know what, four, five, 18 guitar tracks. Uh, just a... Are you sure? Wonderful. <laughs> There's a lot. And they're glorious. You know, all panned and juicy and a, a stew and uh, a shepherd's pie of musical greatness. And that goes down the road. I've, I've got dinner on the mind, I guess. <laughs> but it worked out really great. And then I think that was another part where I sent it to the band, and Tavi's probably thinking, oh, what's this, a new song? Not even realizing he heard it four months before. But at that point, you know, we're getting ready to wrap up the album, and now the guys have heard Echoes, and it's like, oh, wait, this is actually a real song. You know, Dave's made it real, so let's put it together. And then, then Lance comes in. Well, I mean, did Dave want to talk more about those parts, or? You got more to say, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I... Go for it. I can. Um, it's like what, um, what Eric sent to me originally was just, like you said, three minutes, 38 seconds, one take, and I charted out, okay, it looks like there's an A section and a B section, and the, the song had really good bones to begin with, uh, so we were just able to work together and, and polish it. Um, and then Lance got a hold of it, and I remember at first I remember disagreeing with one of the uh, with one of the notes you picked for the pre-chorus, uh, which is one of the notes you landed on. But going back and listening to it, it was like, okay, it works. But my traditional church pop sensibilities didn't grab it the first time. <laughs> but then we Eric's try to like, filter those things out. Yeah, Eric's like, shut up and listen to it. It's rock, and. So I listened to it a couple of times. I'm like, eh, hell, you're right. That's awesome. Well, those aren't, that pre-chorus, those aren't your sensible chords. That's some, uh, if I recall correctly, some open voicings, like an E to a real open F sharp. And it's just, but the E and B strings are ringing out. It's just got a really cool feel to it. And, you know, we could say purposely, we could say lazily, I don't give Lance charts usually. And because I want his ear to be free. I want it to go where he feels like it should go rather than chaining him down and say, these are the notes you must play to stay with the root chords. I think that creativity is what, what made the song what it is. Yeah. And I appreciate that, Eric, because sometimes I turn into a slave when I do get those chord charts and, you know, I, I follow that first or as I go along the first time or two and just, and then eventually I'm poisoned, I would admit. So only when I get stuck or something, when I want to get clarity on what you're doing. But it's funny you mentioned that, Dave, because I'm going to have to go back and listen to that because I'm not even sure what part you're talking about personally, but I'm glad that it, it worked in the end. I'm always open to changing things as Eric often will write us each back probably and say, Hey, that works. That doesn't work. Or that's too much or pull back or let's get some eighth notes or whatever. But you know, this song from the very beginning, when I heard it and then Dave, when you added your stuff, it turned into a monster to me. And you know, the lyrics weren't done yet. 
I don't think they were even a part of any of those initial tracks, right? No, Eric? not yet. Yeah. They came so, later. Yeah, so to me, it was clearly going to be a driving rocker as opposed to, you know, Yesterday's Dreams and some of those other stuff like Fallen where I'm a little more melodic, I guess, is my nature. This one clearly needed a little bit more of a spine and a backbone for the backbeat for whatever Tommy was eventually going to lay down. And so I, I kind of just followed along as best I could and kind of doubled things up. And there wasn't a lot of Lance in there. And I, and I mean that in a way of where I wasn't like overly creating my own lines or lead lines. But, but I do remember, and I know Tommy struggled with this too, but I was the first victim. Oh, the offbeat. Yeah, there were some andos <laughs> and some other stuff that were very intricate that I think, I don't know if, Eric, you were kind of probably more straight, but when Dave laid it down, it was, it was much more technical, and I missed it, and Eric it, it very was quickly. Much, it was much more clear when Dave laid it down. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but but there, were, there were some very purposeful offbeats yeah. uh, put in there, which you can hear even on the original demo, which I think you, well, we'll start this, but you missed it. Yeah, I missed it and first. And then Tommy missed it. And then right. Kevin, did you miss him too? Yeah, I did. He did. He did. So, <laughs> I remember that. So I'm, that's what I'm happy about, though, because Dave, in a sense, uh, stretches. And I know you probably already had it, Eric, but it was so subtle I missed it. And Dave, I missed it too when Dave put it down. But as soon as you mentioned it and I listened more carefully, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you're right. There's those little details that are so important in music that make it such a tight song in the end production. That initially, you know, it was a fun rocking song and it was a little more open, but I, I really started to kind of hone in on those little textures. And so that was fun for me to work through. And, and then I, and that's all I think of now. Every time I listen to this song, it, it's those little and ofs I'm always kind of hitting in my mind. And you're right. As soon as Tommy took it and his first pass or two that you shared, I right away, you and Eric, I know you and I, I think we're talking or we were hanging out maybe safely it was like yeah he missed those little things too it, it doesn't sound wrong but we know that it's supposed to be a certain way and so it was fun to kind of get through that process and, and kevin could speak to it too later but once again it was kind of that foul tip if we want to go to a baseball analogy i didn't really get it until after tommy laid down his tracks i think having the those accented hits like really really made it more clear i'm not really that great at you know listening to music <laughs> Which is good, good, thing you're good a for musician. musician. <laughs> well, like Eric said earlier, that uh, we must have heard this before we recorded it, but I, I don't remember. Just like in the last episode, I played that song five years ago, and I didn't remember. So, who knows? I don't know. Oh yeah, I missed those hits too. So basically, in the chorus, the chord changes on the on the upbeat. And I wasn't playing all those. I hit some of them, but I didn't hit all of them. And then when it was pointed out to me, it's like, oh, yeah, duh, why didn't I hear that? I think I was anticipating what it should be and not really listening to what it was. But this uh, part, so Eric will almost always send a drum beat in a song. And it's usually pretty simple. This one was, and it had like a beat he actually maybe worked on. I'm like, wow, this, this is actually kind of cool. Don't tell anyone, so you'll the ruin intro, my rep. I know the intro to this uh, with the toms on the eighth note before the the snare. Um, that was Eric's idea. It just wasn't there. It was in a different part of the song, but I really liked it. So I threw it in the intro. 
And funny, a couple weeks ago, I was listening to 80s radio on XM, and Madonna's Material Girl came on, and I'm listening, and I'm, yeah, okay, it's kind of cool, and that same beat is in there. The look so, of disdain on Eric's I'm face. I'm telling you, that was a, this that is a was, lie. You must have he been inspired by everyone Madonna. out there. There is no Material uh, Girl in Echoes Down the Road. You should play it right now. Yeah, do you want to hear it? No. <laughs> no, there's, we'll be sued. We can't do that. <laughs> Don't get sued. Oh, Madonna won't care. What's she going to get from us, Kevin? Oh, wait, we can't lose Kevin. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> but I really like that part, and uh, so I played it, and uh, it worked out really well. Other thing about the song that I really like is in the bridge. So we, the bridge breaks down, gets real quiet, uh, there's some noodling on the guitar, so I play... Uh, like quarter note rim shots on that just to kind of keep it chugging forward halfway through the second half i played my side snare but i didn't have a mic on it so the only mics that are picking up that snare are the room mics and the overhead mic so to the listener it gives them a little bit of a, a distant sound like the drums further away but it's still there and it gives you a little more urgency like hey something's fixing to happen here and then we come out of that into the last chorus so I thought that would be a cool uh, thing to try to get kind of a different feel. And I think it worked out. It's pretty cool. And actually, um, when I sent Eric the track, he, he sent something back. Like, when you start playing that snare drum, it's so good right there. And it's just, you know, it's not right in your face, close sounding, but uh, it does add something to that, which uh, I thought was, was kind of cool. And uh, yeah, the song, like Lance was saying, just really comes out and gets going and has a little break for a breather and then ends pretty powerfully. And then I threw a little, uh, little drum fill dealio at the end as if you were, you know, playing live and we're going to end this with a little drum lick. And, uh, and we left it in. That didn't get, and that didn't get cut. Yeah. So. No, I like it. It had a good feel and it, it worked perfectly going into voyeuristic symphony. So yeah. it's like, it's like the end of the chapter where voyeuristic is kind of a coda, you know, an, an epilogue, if you will. And, and just that little, I don't know, you could kind of feel your happiness. You just nailed this part and you're just, you do that little, the little drum thing at the end, which fades out. And it's, that's just perfect. It, it's like a, a false ending to the album almost. Right. No, it was cool. So it, yeah, this is a fun song and it, it was the last one we recorded. I think I, um, it was just, and it, I think it happened pretty quick. We didn't have too many problems with it. So, you know, all in all, it was like, hey, we're done. Cool song. But as you mentioned earlier, we were already working on other stuff. And uh, we're always working. This kind of seems, yeah, kind of seems how it is. True. And it's but, such, uh, a, such a good song that it's really the intro and outro of this lovely podcast. Yeah. So it, good. It works perfectly. I mean, That's even right. when we needed the name. You know, we were trying to be creative and come up with, I don't know, Kevin's Roadshow or, or Lance's Sprinter Van and, and really was like, why don't we just call it Echoes Down the Road? You know, let's steal a song from our own album. And I think it was, it was an easy text message. It was, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. And we used the, like Lance said, the, the intro outro music is actually Echoes. We're not using it from another song, yeah. which actually be kind of funny. This is not false advertising. You're, you're no, getting echoes down, really echoes down the road. Echoes down the road. Until we do the Material is, Girl remix. That's right. When, when I hear echoes 
in my car or something. That's the drugs talking. I can, I can hear the song coming down and then the intro. Welcome to Echoes Down the Road, a podcast by the band. I can hear that now <laughs> when I hear the song. So, Am I, am I missing uh, from the CD with my, uh, yeah, with my yeah, faux yeah, radio announcer voice? <laughs> do we have to pay ourselves uh, royalties to use yes. that, by the way? Yes. Okay. Oh, we should do that. We should charge ourselves. I do. I charge you all the time on Venmo. I know. We should pay you. <laughs> Eric pays himself royalties every night. That, that would be nice. I'm waiting for my royalties to come back from your Venmo graveyard. There you go. <laughs> it was it was funny. I mean, I mean, just an aside, you know, to to the Wessies out there. So, uh, by the time this airs, you you'll know that we have a cover song that we did out. We'll talk about that and why we did it and all about it. But we had to pay licensing fees, you know, so we can actually have it available on Bandcamp. And it wasn't bad. It came out to like twenty eight bucks. But so I Venmoed the guys. I think it was five dollars and sixty cents tonight. With a text saying, hey, you guys can pay me in installments before I told them how much. So hopefully I didn't give anyone heart attacks with what they were about to see. Oh, I was curious <laughs> how much it was going to cost. I never opened that up, but I was like, dang, that must have been expensive then. Well, and you, you don't Five even bucks. look at them. You just turn them over to your wife to pay. And she's always first. Within 10 seconds of sending any Venmo request, Jenny, yep. Jenny pays it. Yep. Yeah, I have no idea how much any of it is. She just yeah. knows to I do it. I remember the, the first time I... I actually asked for money from Lance. I put in this, this is Tommy from the band. This is for this. I put this big long thing on there. Cause I didn't want her to get some random requests for money, you know, from some guys. Lance, is this the focal of. banger guy <laughs> <laughs> from Utah? Uh, so as much as I like the drums on this, I think Kevin was the last person to get this and he should tell us about his guitar. Parts. Yeah. The things he added really made the song. Like they they really put the bow on on this one. It would not have been done without the without the stuff Kevin added. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like a a trend me getting in my tracks at the last minute. I guess I work <laughs> best on a on a, yeah, a short wick. Always late, but worth the wait. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm putting that on the next Venmo for Lance. <laughs> for, from the demo um, that Eric sent out, all I all I could hear when I was listening to it was like a kind of like a, a emo emo vibe. I don't know how to explain it, but that, that's what kind of I, I think I you felt just the did. same one. It was it was very uh, it was very like acceptance, like late like mid late two thousands. Like it's better than Material funky. Girl. <laughs> I guess anything's better than material goal. Um, and I'll bet $50 right now. Tommy has never heard of the band acceptance. Acceptance. I win. Well, a hundred dollars. <laughs> Cause I've never heard it either. Oh, yeah. Man. I mean, you're too easy. You're yeah. Lance. If it's past 1974, I know you haven't heard of them. <laughs> guilty as charged. If it's not the black crows. Sand, he's sand black crows. I'm guilty. All right. Sorry, Kevin. Continue. Just had to make fun of Tommy. It's okay. Stop me anytime. Yeah, you need to do yeah, no shortage of that. <laughs> Stop me anytime. Uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, that's the general vibe that I got from from the demo, and uh, I just felt like it didn't really need much uh, from me since Dave pretty much laid down like the the beef. I don't know. That's kind of a weird way to say it. Laid down the beef, <laughs> but without the cheese, it it wouldn't be any good. Exactly. It, 
It'd just be a boring burger. Yeah, You're our cheese, Kevin. Is that a good thing? Well, it depends what kind of cheese you think you are. Spicy mm. Jack, hopefully. No, as he's long more as you're a, not foot cheese. He's more of a Gouda. So this, <laughs> this one gobbled up some Gouda? A creamy, smoky cheese. Shut up, Tommy. Not, not fermented we're, cheese. We're doing a bad job. We, we keep interrupting Kevin. He only has like eight or nine words before he has to call it a day, so let him get those out. I'm actually, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, your parts. I, I don't know how many guitar parts you sent me for this. Maybe only like three. There was but two. two um, just, and the solo, right? Yeah, two yeah, the solo. Ones. Two color guitars and the solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the solo just blasts at the end, and you hear it every time this podcast ends. That's Kevin's solo. It's the typical Kevin solo that becomes iconic, whether yes. it's the Fallen solo, the Denmark intro, the outro to Echoes, or just something about Kevin. I don't know how he does it. Again, he's in league with the devil with, with where he draws from. But it's actually one of his color tracks on this song, and I'm going to play a little bit of the stem, and it can play it under while I'm talking. And you hear these, these harmonics going on, and you're doing a little thing with the trim bar, and it's, it's just a wonderful sound, and it, it's not complicated. You know, he's not doing the 64th Ingve notes, even though he can. You know, it's just that, that color he adds, and we've talked about this in so many episodes. It's, it takes that painting from, you know, from Thomas Kincaid crappy to Bob Ross awesomeness, you know, and the trees are happy and the world is a better place. Kevin, you're our Bob Ross. <laughs> Don't make mistakes. That's his name, right? You can edit that part they're out. Just, did you get the name right? They're yes, just happy did. little accidents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of my parts happy are. Happy little accidents. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they are accidents. They are, I that, mean, that solo was completely on accident. That, that ending part pissed me off because i played it so many times and i couldn't get it well it's great i mean now that solo the one on the album the solo is twice as long because you have that little intro part there's kind of like some chunkas and then does some other stuff but we fade that part and we just brought up you know the uh the i don't know what you want to call it the face punch part of it just so it will so you're you're almost halfway through that end section and at that point maybe you're like oh maybe there's nothing here Maybe nothing else is going to happen until the end of the song. And then the solo kicks in halfway through the outro. So yeah. I like that there's that tension. There's that, the, the wondering, is anything else coming, you know, to jump out of Tommy's closet to get me? And then, then Kevin appears. He had been in Tommy's closet the whole time. Surprise. The little Asian man <laughs> in my closet. I, I, I basically had that part on loop, and I was just listening to it over and over. And I was like, there's... I can't come up with anything, so I just. I couldn't bend. either. Don't feel bad. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm so glad that you that you took that one because you clearly saw something on that solo that was just completely eluding me. Because I remember Eric saying, "Hey, do you think this needs a solo at the end?" I'm like, "No, I think it's good." But part of why I was saying I think it's good was I was lame and couldn't think of anything. <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, I'm just gonna let this one go." But then, then Kev, you come and just add something that nobody would have thought of, but that made all the difference. See, when you let it go, I just went and badgered Kevin for like three straight days, you know, <laughs> threatening him to, to, put, to lay down the most face-melting solo. If you, if you want your freedom, 
from Tommy's closet, you must <laughs> present this. You solo. will play this or remain there for you for your days. It puts the lotion. <laughs> Clarice. <laughs> so uh it's not the closet you should be worried about, it's what's in the dungeon. It's true. I've heard that's where the that's where the drum beats come from. <laughs> My blood is, is just it, ran cold. We're going off the rails in it in just the most wonderful way at this point. Now, when you get comfortable after ten episodes, this is what happens. Who knows what will happen at episode one hundred? I mean, three fifths of these guys might not even be here. Tommy's going to get fired for sure. Probably before the end of the podcast. There's, there's a good chance, my friend. A good chance. <laughs> I'd I'd take the over on that. <laughs> so, so we finished the song. That the song was not painful at all to put together. I mean, for the last song, we kind of we'd gotten over some hurdles before, like we talked about with Denmark. But this one song came together pretty easy. And I'd already written the lyrics, and we'll we'll dive into those. But I want to talk about putting the vocals down. Uh, at this point, we'd kind of really gotten into our groove of layering vocals. I bought a new mic halfway through the album recording. It was much better than my old mic. And so this is a layered beast. There are 13 different vocal tracks on this song. And the, the best vocal layering is when you don't actually know that there are 13 tracks. So you get the feeling of that vocal fatness without so much going on that your ears become tired. Uh, just the lead vocal. Do you guys know how many lead vocals are layered on this song? Trivia question. Is it 13? No. <laughs> no, it is not 13. I did know about the new mic, though. Did I get credit for that? Yeah, that's something you knew. You did good. Okay. Uh, five. There are nice. five lead vocal tracks to this song. And, you know, I, with Bobby Phillips, again, the Mex Ninja, I work with him, and we, he layers them in such a way that you think you're hearing one, but it's five there, and it just creates this blob of vocal hopeful hopefully awesomeness and it was really happy with how the vocals came out dave's on here dave you got some some bgvs didn't you on this track well if you think about it if there was 13 vocal tracks and five of them were you the other eight were me no neither eight weren't you because there's my <laughs> background vocals too <laughs> well, <laughs> you try to steal all of them <laughs> that's funny that that's our dave Zero were mine, just in case you only show up on uh, on Denmark. Realistically, Eric, I think it was either four or six because I I always do something like that. Well, you did you did the backgrounds to the chorus, yes, and then I did the harmonies to the uh, the pre-chorus and the pre-choruses, and then I added some coming out of the bridge. Yeah, because there was a uh, really specific harmony that I threw down on the demo. For the pre-choruses and well, I loved it. It just turned out way better than I thought it would, and it was completely by mistake because I do not write out harmonies. I kind of <laughs> just sing and see what happens. They said somehow every free choice that you make is preordained. Well, the melody on that's so interesting on that pre-chorus, like the way it's, it's that the melody one. comes down and and follows the. Um, follows the underlying chord structure, I wouldn't have been able to write a harmony for that. It's, I mean, I can't say I wrote it in that I pushed play and willed myself to sing a harmony and that's what came out. 
uh, I, I, I know music theory, you know, I have a background in that, but I, I don't actually write out my harmonies. I don't think, well, you know what, I'm going to sing a fourth here or a fifth here on the pre-chorus. I know I, I sang some seconds. I was harnessing some, some Alice in Chains there and there are some seconds there and it kind of creates a cool dissonance. Yeah. And when we, when we talk about the lyrics, what's actually being said there, that descending melody line is going along with the lyrics. It's going, uh, not unironically, it's going down the road, just like the title. And that stuff is on purpose, you know, that, those ideas and those sonic ideas. But no, I, didn't, I wish I could write out the notes. It, it would be a lot easier. I've always, I love your background vocals on the chorus because I was blanking there when I gave it to you. And I'm like, hey, Dave, do something. And the great thing about Dave is I have full faith when I hand it to Dave that four or five, six days later, I'm going to have a bunch of wave files and it's going to be awesome. And that's, I mean, that's the feeling with everyone in this band, with Tommy and with Kevin and Lance too. And why I feel so spoiled in this band is... I know when it comes back, it's going to be good. And on the off chance that it's, I mean, it's never bad. Not too bad, of course. But, <laughs> but if it comes back and it's not quite there, uh, the other great thing about this band is, you know, our skin is thick enough, both physically and metaphorically, you know, that we can say, hey, you know what, this needs some work. And no one's going to go into a, a death spiral a shame spiral, if you will, and disappear off the face of the earth. And it's going to be fixed and it's going to be worked out. And you push and prod and it, there's back and forth, but it never gets into, and I'm sure you guys have, maybe you've all been in bands like this. I know I have, uh, where there's some real animosity if something is challenged or critiqued or questioned. And then, and those bands just either die a fiery death or you're Guns N' Roses and you just become even better. <laughs> yeah they took the long way home to get there though yeah it's it's a lot harder but i mean for some people it works you know and pushback makes songs better uh hate uh well it'll give you one great album but then the band usually breaks up after that but you're getting a second album so obviously we don't hate each other we're doing no, well the creative guys. the creative conflict is what makes it work because that's that's kind of what what sharpens us we sharpen our rough edges off and we end up being better for it, even though it can be uncomfortable in the moment. All I know, and I swear by it, Tommy gets better after every time I fire him. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Podcast comes. isn't over yet, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I must have really sucked when we first met 20 years ago. <laughs> well, we all sucked back in... I mean, we were decent back then, but compared to how we are now... Kevin you know, was seven years old, though. Don't forget that. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin wasn't was even an how idea when Tommy and I started playing. <laughs> Tommy and I were playing the Sunset Strip, and Kevin was still a twinkle. Stripping down in his diapers. In his parents' eyes. <laughs> so let's dive into the meat, shall we? This, this is where it gets good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said on an earlier episode, I believe it was Moving Shadows, that the lyrics to Echoes Down the Road are one, probably my favorite and my me at my most vulnerable and bits of it, probably the most scathing thing I've written. Well, maybe that's not true. I mean, Denmark and ghosted they're they're pretty scathing, but 
This is maybe more scathing because it's going after a sacred cow. Agree? Disagree? Yeah. Mm. I thought this song was about me. <laughs> so let's You're so let, vain. Let's let's jump in, boys. I mean, some of us have had conversations about what the song was about over four, five, eight whiskeys. Uh or four or five bourbon barreled aged beers. Or just talking to Tommy and Dave, which kind of gives up who I was talking to before. But I, I want I want your uh, your your broad thoughts. Don't get into too much specifics because we'll get there. What are you? What were your broad thoughts when you heard the lyrics? I think when I when I first heard the lyrics, and Eric, I think you and I, after I'd heard them a few times, um, we were we were both over some whiskey, and I was like, okay, this is what I think it is, and I guess I I I won the gold star for that one. Um, but at first blush, it sounds like some sort of like unrequited love song or like unrequited, like pensive, like, okay, I'm, I'm looking with painful retrospect. Like Mike pensive. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is not I, too soon. Uh, sorry. I, Tommy gave me his dad joke. <laughs> yeah. You, you gotta have him, man. Closet. <laughs> okay that but, was my bad it was extremely rude of me please continue no so i heard that and then um i get it almost to me it almost sounded like reflecting on a a previous relationship that didn't work and trying to give advice to the to the person you parted ways with like just just be better like here here's why it didn't work and i still care about you as a person but like try to try to be better at these things so that you are more happy and fulfilled as a person but then the the pre-choruses kind of give the clue um i or gave me the clue uh talking about uh, things being preordained and kind of that feeling of being just a hamster in a habit trail. And like I've, I've had a, a growing up more, more conservative, conservative kind of on the Calvinist uh, heavy Baptist side uh, in my youth. And I was like, okay, I recognize some of these themes. So I was like, hey, Eric, is, is this song a love song or is this a, a farewell to Calvinist doctrine and predestination? We shouldn't let Dave go first because he has such a deep thought about the lyrics. Now, anything we all say behind it, is this going to be like, uh, oh, there's words. Uh, <laughs> wow. well, well, go ahead. We can always cut and paste you. And put in front of Dave. Oh, there's, there's words. <laughs> no. See, I didn't think of it initially as a, as a sad thing, but kind of along Dave's line, more like coming into somebody's life and helping them rather than leaving their life and telling them what they should do to help themselves. Uh, especially in the chorus, you know, if I tell you this in love and, and, um, you know, there's two ways to look at that. Right. So initially I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm going to tell you this cause I care about you and I'm not going to hurt you. And this is not what this is meant to be. And, you know, I know you're hurt and you've got these walls up, but you don't need to have these walls up. And I understand why you do, but you know, if you if you can release that, then you can see a whole new world. Um, 
that was my initial thought. But then the more I think about it, you also hear if I tell you, if people, you know, especially in churches, well, they say, well, you know, I'm going to tell you this in love. They're about ready to tell you something you don't want to hear. And it's either going to be good for you or they're just saying, I'm going to tell you this in love so they can get away with saying something they probably shouldn't. So, so you know, now when I kind of think about that, like every every section of the song could go either way. Is that like right? saying, at, is that like saying, with all due respect? Right. Yeah. Or I don't mean to be rude. Or, means I'm fixing to be rude. Or I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, bless his harp down in the South. Um, but anyway, I kind of feel like every one of these sections, at least the chorus and the bridge can go that way. Right. Uh, the bridge, strip away the pride, the pride that blinds you. So you can say that in love and people will get it and not be insulted. And you can not say that in love and they will be mad because you're judging them that they're being so proud that they're blinded. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of, a lot of that going on in, in the, and then, you know, the ends of the little of the verses with the echo part in the background, same way. I mean, the, the preordained stuff I posted, uh, if anybody's trolling me on Facebook, I, for the last couple months, once in a while, I would just post a piece of the song and I did post one of those little sections and it got a kind of a, a nice little comment going on. Um, the one about, uh, they say somehow every free choice that you made is preordained and you can't change it. So I posted that. And of course, you know, I got a couple of my uh, non-believing friends commenting on that, which I kind of expected, but that's a heavy, that's a heavy line. I mean, you can take a lot of time to think about that and ponder on what that means. So I'm kind of with Dave on, on the way as it's, you know, somebody talking to someone but more entering their life rather than leaving it. That's how I initially saw that. And maybe that's because uh, I know a lot of people here in Utah who have maybe married at a young age and um, were scarred maybe by the predominant religion here and by the, uh, uh, I won't get into that. That's a whole nother podcast, but I, I, I meet them and I see them and I kind of feel like, they could hear some of this and it would help them. I heard that too, but I also like what, what made it hard for me to, to reconcile at first was hearing all the things, Tommy, that you just mentioned and going, okay, well maybe you're just coming into their life now, but like, I guess identifying in a really visceral way, because I, I'm prone to regret. I'm, I'm prone to anxiety and depression in my personal life. And I, I like everyone have, have had weeks and years and decades where I, I did things I wasn't necessarily proud of. Um, and looking back on that can be really bittersweet at times. So like you've got this happy chord structure and everything else. And the song opens with I'm broken and unfocused thinking about a time when the world was in front of me scattered dreams and misguided fantasies regarding life and love and you. So it's like, that sets the stage for a super bittersweet beginning. No, that's true. But it's funny how we kind of focus on different parts of the song. I know that when I first heard it, I was really more focused on the, the pieces of the verses that came after the main portion, you know, with the echo part. Um, and then I got focused on the chorus 
and then I got focused on the bridge. Uh, so I, I wasn't, I guess I wasn't watching. So <laughs> I get in trouble from Eric because I put CDs on shuffle. I guess I kind of put the song on shuffle too. You're a monster. I was focusing on different pieces, <laughs> focusing on different pieces of the song. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I still feel kind of feel like some of these sections can either be a positive or a negative depending on, on, I guess how you take it, which I think is what Eric would like. Well, that's the beauty of, of writing something like this. And like my, I've had these challenges as a lyricist myself. I, I'm far better behind a guitar than I am behind a microphone. Um, and I think that's, that's where Eric shines and where I'm so glad that Eric is the primary lyricist for the band is being able to create something that has this much meat to it when you're telling the story that is open to interpretation. It doesn't have one pre-canned, like some of the simpler songs that are out now. It's like, okay, there's no other way to read this. Like this is, this is spoon-fed to you. There's no intellectual heavy lifting in what you're listening to. And that's... Yeah, a- it's not like Girls, 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 right? By Motley Crue. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> the cool thing about being in a band like this is having these really super rad lyrics that nobody knows what they mean. And the bad part is when Eric says, what does the song mean to you? Cause I know anything I say is going to be wrong, <laughs> even though it won't be wrong. I still feel like it'll be wrong. Cause it's not what he was thinking. Isn't that right? Lance? Well, he does give you that opportunity to fall on your face. That is true. <laughs> but yet, While he's got his foot up. out to trip you. <laughs> right. But, but at the same stroke, he will lift you up and applaud you with the fact that his dream is for every song to mean something, something different more often than not for everyone. And that's, that's a beautiful thing, like Dave was mentioning, to have something that's powerful and meaningful that literally can mean something to everyone. And more often than not, hopefully, it's not the same thing. So before I chime in, Eric, I, we talked about your vocals before, and I have to uh, clarify the end of the chorus, the sets you free, that's when you go in like super falsetto beauty, right? Yeah, the, well, there's a little. Uh, it's not super high. The first uh, set you it, free. The it, first set you free is falsetto. Right? Yes, that set you free is my favorite chunk of lyrics in the whole album, all of it. And every time, and I think, was it Tommy was saying this every time he's in the car, listen to a song or something, he always, when you sing set you free in that falsetto, I literally will turn my head and I will mimic it. I don't say a word because I'll poison the sounds, but like it, it like grabs my loins, it lifts them up and like shakes them around. And that's a good thing (laughs) because God, it just touches me. And and it's so damn beautiful. So I want to just mention that. Um, and, And like I've mentioned many times, I, I don't hear lyrics and this song when Eric a while back gave us homework to like look at it, think about it, the the chorus is where I start. And David mentioned this before. It sounds like it's a love song, and it and I guess it is ultimately. But um, it's a very straightforward story that relates to my life as well. The chorus sounds like it's a love story where I would. I think we all have had a girlfriend at some point where they are not. They, maybe they've wandered away. And I'm not in agreement. I'm still attached. And I want to tell them, hey, 
I'm going to tell you this in love. You know, you can tear down all that crap you've built up between us and you're hiding behind all this stuff. You know, I can really explain life to you and set you free. Like, that's the initial surface thing. But, but if you start at the beginning, it, it's partly my voyage with my faith. And for me, it was my junior year in high school where I asked the simple question, and I hope every person who's religious, especially those of us who are Christian, who were born in a, in a house of faith, you're raised in that faith. Am I just lucky that I found myself in this house with these parents, with this faith in the country that I live and have the freedoms I do? Is that, that just by chance? And is that why I believe what I believe? And the ultimate question is, is what I believe right and everyone else is wrong? And I think we've all, I hope we've all had that. And for me, it was my junior year in high school. And I started searching and I, so I asked myself that question. I started looking at all these other religions and I, I had friends that had different faiths and I wanted to know what is it about Mormonism? I don't really know Squadola about it. So I started you know, talking to friends I worked with at uh, 31 Flavors, Baskin Robbins. And I went to a few of their services. I talked to and I went to a few of my Jewish friends' synagogues. And I was, you know, listening and learning. And then I was reading a little bit about Muslimism. And I think at, at the final one for me was reading Herman Hesse's book, Siddhartha. And if you have not read this novel, it is not a long novel. But damn, is it fantastic about a boy voyaging through these faiths and these trials in life, walking the earth. And just being let down after every chapter in his life. And that's kind of how I was that year. And eventually I got to that point. Thank the heavenly Lord. Yeah, I, this is clearly the right faith. There's plenty of evidence. I'm a very scientific-based person. I, I looked at all this stuff. I, I definitely don't always agree with certain people and their views on stuff. And I, I give God the glory and the opportunity to... Anything he says could be possible. And it's who am I to say that I'm right and he's not, right? So anything's possible. You talk about the story of creation. I'll break it down scientifically, but I'm also cool with anything because, again, I'm just a lame human. And so you get into that third part of, you know, now a score in 27. You know, we're talking about time goes on. I realize this guilt. And now I'm wondering why I missed you and I'm coming back. And that's kind of where you get into what you were mentioning. Tommy, you mentioned before, I'll go back a little bit about the free choice. Is it preordained? Those are heavy topics that a lot of people, believers, non-believers, love to wrestle with. And then it finally gets to God talking for me, at least. And again, this is how I interpret this song. Um, you know, God's the one saying, I'm going to tell you this in love. I'm going to tear down these walls you've built up. You're hiding behind all this stuff. Let me set you free. Strip away the pride, and oh my God, pride, that has got to be worry and pride are the two biggest diseases of humans, um, I feel, that just make people shells of who they should and could be. And the beauty of the world, this is probably my favorite line, to see the beauty of the world that wishes nothing more than for you to love them. And that is a call, I think, for all of us to recognize it's a choice to be positive and to shine light in other people's lives. All of us have something in our life to be bitter and angry about. And if I'm really bitter, there's somebody else who has a worse scenario. So why am I complaining? And it's our job, I believe, every day I walk into my office, 
to shine light and breathe life into others and be a, a, a positive thing in their life. And that's why I love the way this song kind of goes through those layers. And I think it's, it's more of a timeline for me and my story. And I don't know if that's what you meant it to be, Eric, or how you guys feel. But for me, that's, that's what this song spoke to me for and how it did. I can honestly say that you're all right and you're all wrong <laughs> in your own beautiful way. But Will you I, tell us I, in I, love so we don't get hurt? Kevin, Kevin go for the, uh, the, quad, the quadfecta. Uh, what were you as, thinking? As with any um, of your lyrics, I just do an interpretation to get a pat on the back. I don't expect to be right. <laughs> you you actually can't be wrong. I'm I'm busting chops here. So, no, I, do you put do you put the song into Google and see what happens? Yeah. Do you just Google it. Uh, I, I Google some <laughs> some words sometimes. I'm not gonna lie. Some sometimes you use like the big language. You know what I mean? Uh, to me, this song, I think you mentioned, was written kind of like off the cuff. So just speaking your mind uh, kind of breaks into the song with, with the lyric, I'm broken and unfocused. And I, I think that's something that um, is relatable for anyone, anyone that's ever felt human emotion <laughs> uh, to to feel at certain time broken or or have their focus drawn away from from anything and the world was in front of you you know that is a feeling that i think i feel most of the time just thinking like what if you're reaching for something that you're unsure of and yeah, that's kind of goes into the next part where it's uh, a scattered dream and that's that's what it all turns into at the in the end. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the The lyrics kind of reminded me of uh, growing up in the church, learning about uh, like preordained destiny, and kind of disagreeing with it, and thinking about it. Kind of makes me feel a little uneasy or depressed like if it's all something that's already written out then what's the point and i think that the lyrics in the song kind of kind of uh yeah they they kind of the lyrics kind of bring that uh, to light and like like you were saying lance uh that whole epiphany of okay am i everyone around me, this echo chamber that I'm in is telling me, oh, well, this is right. This is the only right. And it it becomes almost an operant conditioning. And I didn't break out of that enough to take a hard look at it until I was in my late mid to late twenties. And like, I was, I was writing an album. Like I, I was externally healthy and on top of everything but but internally like was not in in a lot of really important ways um where you start to wonder like okay is it by some accident of geography and and socioeconomic lottery that i ended up here and through that i somehow have the corner on the market for 
absolute truth. Like exactly. that, like that, that type of dissonance, that cognitive dissonance really, um, really pulls at you and really, especially at the time I was a worship leader, I was a young dad. I was, I was struggling with a dad who had kind of walked away from faith and gone into more of a new age faith and then come back to faith. Uh, and then was a, was a 24 year old burying his dad. Uh, and that, like I buried part of me with him. I think I buried a lot of that, like a lot of that hopefulness, a lot of that, that bright eyed believe without question mentality. I think, I think some of that stayed in the hospital with him. Um, so I, I felt a lot of what this song talks about and having to part ways with, with people and, and part ways with ideas. I guess we hold a lot of times, I think we hold tighter to our ideals than we do to people. Uh, and some of that, I think that Eric brings out in the song is, is God kind of reminding us holding on to ideas closer than people. You kind of got it backwards. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't even know if I need to weigh in on this one. I mean, the, <laughs> the conversation with the four. Well, you, you can't be wrong. And <laughs> I, I say this with all humility. The greatest joy as a songwriter is for someone to relate to something you wrote. And it doesn't matter their experience with the song. The second. I write a song and we put it out. It's not my song anymore. It belongs to anyone who listens to it. So far be it for me to say, uh, well, no, that's the wrong interpretation. No, you're wrong. No, Kevin, no, that wasn't right at all. Your experience is your ex experience. Uh, in, in music and in art, there is no uh, objective truth. It's all subjective. Now I can share you know, my experience, and my experience may be different. In fact, I'm, I'm willing to bet it is different in certain facets of it, just because this was my mindset at the time. And each guy, you know, in this band, they all hit on something, some little part of it, and then personalized it, which is what you're supposed to do when you listen to songs. When I listen to U2, I'm not going, well, what was Bono thinking? I'm thinking, no, how does this affect me? You know, uh, how am I running to stand still? That's a song about heroin. I don't have any experience with heroin, but I can, you know, I can agree with this emotion of, of like running in place and not moving. That's, that's part of the human condition, something that I can understand and feel, even though that wasn't the author's intent. Uh, for me, this is, it, it's a farewell letter to white American evangelicalism. Uh, which which Dave kind of nailed there. And it, it was not easy to write. It was not easy to, to put down on paper. But this was something I started going through in my 20s when I went through deconstruction of my faith. And, you know, Lance kind of says, he, he made a great point, you know, are, are we born into our faith? Is it because of geography? Uh, because of what our parents believed? And, and when you grow up in the church, your faith is very much whatever your parents tell you to believe. And, you're, and you go to church, and then you're taught the same things, and those things are, are put on you, and it is the expectation that this is 100% truth. 
Now, first and foremost, and apologies to anyone that, that disagrees. Well, no apologies. I'm, if you're offended, you're offended. But anyone that says they have access to 100% truth is a bald-faced liar. Because the very nature of humanity and our frailty makes it impossible to understand or have comprehension of 100% truth. That is something alone left to God, whether you believe in God or not. I happen to. And there's a podcast in the future where I'll be happy to lay out you know, my, kind of like Lance, my scientific reasons why I believe there's a God. Now, the, the geography thing that you brought up, Lance, is, is a very, there's so much meat in that subject. You know, personally, it's, it's going to piss off someone, but, but we got to go there. The absolute arrogance to think that because of where you were born, let's say, you know, America, that you then have the 100% ownership of the truth. And here we're talking about white American evangelicalism that you have ownership over an Eastern religion that came about millennia before. The arrogance of that is something that I cannot comprehend. You may know facets of truth, but this idea that the American church has figured it all out, and that's the way it is, that God's message is to this shining city on a hill, and we hold this chalice of you know, perfect truth for the world to sip from is it's absolute bullshit. Because how dare we created human beings say to anyone that we have this monopoly on the thoughts of God and will so dole those out to every corner of the world. I mean, just I'm leaving a lot of hopefully uncomfortable silence, but ponder that idea that we're saying, essentially, well, you were born in Iraq, so you're going to hell. Think of how that sits. And do not edit out my silence. When you, when you edit this, Lance, I'm, I'm, being, I'm letting it sit on purpose. I know it's probably... It's probably a mistake in a podcast, but think of the arrogance of saying that to anyone. Saying to someone in Africa, your concept of the creator, or to a Native American, your concept of the creator, we can tell you in 2021, well, you were wrong. Even though this is what you knew, you were wrong, and well, you're going to hell, and you're going to hell. And that attitude, which has completely permeated White American evangelicalism is one of the most destructive forces in our world today. And the sad irony of that is that the idea of the teachings of Christ should be the most life-giving messages we have, not ones of damnation or condemnation. And a lot of this song came from that. Uh, Lance and I, Kevin too, we spent a lot of time growing up in the same church and we all have our different experiences, but it's very much steeped, the church we went to, uh, that Lowell Lance still goes to it. That's not bad. It's fine. Uh, it's still very much steeped in white American evangelicalism. 
And, you know, Dave made the mention of Calvinism. It's not that I'm anti-Calvinist. You know, I've got my issues with Arminianism, too. I've got my issues with open theism. You can tell I, I went through, I was a biblical studies major in college, so I, I spent a lot of time with this stuff. I started out that way, too. But, yeah, the predestination, I mean, that comes from a place of arrogance. Now, if there is a God, and again, I say I believe there is, does he know everything that will happen? Most likely, he's the almighty creator of the universe. But does that mean he's pulling the strings and pushing buttons so those things are an inevitability for free agency in his creations, to which I have to say absolutely not. I know if I put a bunch of candy in front of my kids, I know damn well they're going to eat it. Does that mean they're predestined to eat it? No, because they make the choice to eat the damn candy. It's no different with humanity. And it's uh, fascinating to me that those who are so steeped in predestination and push that theology so much that it's always the winners. It's always the ones that are preordained to be the successful ones, to be the ones that go to heaven, to be the ones who are the champions and the salvation belongs to them, blah, 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 blah. It's, you never hear the losers part saying, we're preordained to hell because it's a bunch of BS. The it's book another, is written it, by it, the elect. It's written, well, the history is written by the winners, right? And that's what it is. And that, when I say, you know, they said somehow every free choice that you make is preordained and you can't change it, you know, yeah, that's a slap in the face to that idea. Because it doesn't jibe with what Jesus teaches us about the character of God. You know, and then we move on. We, uh, great catch on the passage of time, a score in 27. I'm not going to say that gives away my age, but it does. Uh, that those echoes down the road, that's not history. That is an, a, an actual echo chamber. Because growing up, if you grew up in a church, uh, more likely than not, you are in an echo chamber where you hear your own thoughts echoed back to you time and time again, and no one's pushing back. And if someone does push back, those are the people that are usually pushed out. Because we don't like a lot of pushback in our churches for some reason even though that's what makes us better. You read the Gospels, so many people push back on Jesus. And it's through those conversations that we grow. If we're not pushing back and questioning and doubting and fighting about it, we're not going to get anywhere. And when, when I go on to say far from your dissonance, that's the cognitive dissonance. Now, that's exactly what, for me, that that was referring to, that we keep convincing ourselves of the same things and we never leave that chamber so how do we expect to grow? How do we expect to mature? The idea, and I'm rambling, and you are free to turn the podcast off at this point, but I'm <laughs> going to keep going. The idea that we have figured it all out at 20, 25, 30, 35, or 40 years old is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Because the one thing I realize, and maybe you guys you know, feel the same, the older I get, the less I freaking know the less I'm sure of, because hopefully as you mature, you're stripping away pretense and arrogance and pride and this whole self-important BS that you have it all together, because you don't. And if you're listening to this, let you who have ears hear. You do not have it all together. None of us do. And that's kind of the point of the human experience and why we engage in relationship and why we engage in conversation, and why we make art, and why we put art out there, is because as a global village, we know that we are frail creations. 
And the second someone tells you they're not, that's when we have issues. That's when we see things like, as of this recording a couple days ago, a bunch of idiots stormed the capital of the nation to try to push their will and their false belief and destroy democracy. Because they were told time and time again, you are preordained to be the winners and everyone else is a loser. And that is the natural progression of that sort of belief. And we go on to say in that next pre-course, they said this is how it's always been and always will be until the end. Thanks be to God. That's where all that's coming from. Oh, my soapbox, it's so high, I can barely see you guys there <laughs> on Zoom. But let's keep going. And we get to the course, and I'm not completely a dick. You know, if I'm coming across like that, I'm sorry. And when I say if I tell you this in love, it's not a bless your heart, and it's not sarcasm. You know, to, to kind of backtrack, the line where it says, torn between a little guilt and some relief and wondering why I miss you, I, I do miss that bubble. Of, of the white church that I was a part of. And I, I miss some of the people. Uh, but there came a time when it would have poisoned me more to stay in that bubble and, and be under uh, false teaching than to leave. And it, it hurt to leave. It did. And I lost, I can't even tell you how many people wrote me off because I pushed back and wrote off members of my family because we pushed back at certain things. And when that happens, you find out who your friends are. You know, like when they play bass in your band, and they're with you for, for 30 years, you know. And Lance and I may not agree on everything, but the one thing we do agree on is that we love each other, because we've been friends for 30 years. Amen. And we don't, we don't major on, on the minors, so to speak, to say it. You know, because we have far more in common. And, and all these guys in the band, none of them are neo-Nazis. So people out there, you can safely listen to us. <laughs> uh, so to jump forward uh, back again, when I'm saying if I tell you this in love, it's not sarcastic. I still have a lot of love for the church here on earth. I just think they've severely effed up their mission with what they need to be doing. They've built walls around them and insulated themselves instead of stepping out into the world instead of focusing on the marginalized, the disenfranchised, uh, the poor, the broken. They've ignored the LGBTQ community. They've ignored people of color. And it's why we have the environment that we have here in America. And I, I can't travel anymore because I'm stuck here at home, but I'm assuming we are not the only country dealing with this. And maybe it's arrogant of me to say, uh, you know what, if you pay attention to what I'm saying, you know, that can set you free. Now, these words aren't coming from me. They're from my understanding of the teachings of Jesus. And I'll be the first to say, I don't have all those right. And I'm sure there's stuff that I'm going to be corrected on and I will learn from. You know, at my age, I don't know it all and I will make mistakes. And that's why, you know, we move on to that bridge to strip away the pride because it is that pride that blinds you. Uh, we turn our face away from, that's kind of talking about how we're all looking in a mirror just staring at ourselves. And when we can draw ourselves away from just that picture of ourselves that we love and adore so much and open up our eyes and we see a world and the church needs to see a world that's saying, instead of telling me everything I'm doing wrong, damn it, just love me. And how hard is that? 
What do we lose as humans when we love people? Not, I love you, but, and then put some qualifier on it, but I love you. I would argue that we lose absolutely nothing by saying those three words. I would argue that you gain a lot by giving love out. You gain so it's much. It's not hard. Yeah. Well, it's we it, it, what to say I love you or to love no, people? No, it's not hard. I think it's really hard for people to do it, though. Well, then they need to stop. Oh, I agree. And that's, that's what's the beauty of it, though, is if, if, if you have a hard time. No, I mean, I'll qualify. There's people that I can't stand, and I know I still need to love them. But the act of even saying it, even if you're faking it to make it at first, that's part of jumping into that. I mean, anything we try to start out, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. But the actual words or a smile or a compliment, you know, we don't serve ourselves when. Oh, well, we go around just calling everyone a Nazi or a communist, and we've set up those walls, and that's who we are. Yeah, I yeah, mean, but the, the, the act of love towards others, it can be really hard for people. Um, for me personally, it's much easier to do the loving than actually to say it, because words to me are very powerful, and I think we all probably would agree at some point. Uh, funny story on that. I remember I really had never said I love you to any girl I ever dated, ever. Even my wife, when we were dating, she eventually said it, and it's, it's a holy word to me. There's nothing more holy than saying that. And I said, after an awkward pause, I said, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll never let that go. And this was just last week. Yeah. But I wasn't ready to say it back, and I'm not going to just say it back. However, the act of love is something that I, I think is so priceless and is the reason why, you know, you mentioned storming the Capitol. You know, that's why the whole world is laughing at our country right now. But I think the fact that we struggle to love is probably why, and the pride that our country has, and you touched on this earlier, Eric, is why so much of the world hates America. Because we are arrogant, probably more so than any other country that I can observe. But unfortunately, I've lived here pretty much my whole life. But man, when you get outside your bubble, if it's outside your community, I've been lucky enough to get outside the country a few times, to Africa, to Romania a couple times. Gosh, giving to other people, I get so much more than I give to those people. And it's something I challenge anyone to do if they're ever hesitant, because you receive so much more in lessons and perspective and joy by loving other people, even though, like Eric said, and I'm guilty of it too, there are some people I do not love, and I struggle to you show respect. I appreciate that, Kevin. But man, is it so important to be able to put that stuff aside and always start with love first. That's, that's kind of my motto is love people to death because it's not worth your time to, to be, like you said, Eric, a dick. It's just, it never helps. It, it, it only affects your life negatively. Rule number one, and I really only have one, don't be a dick. <laughs> if if you make rule. that the mantra of your life, it, your life will be so much better. 
because there's just no reason for it. Yeah, so it doesn't help that, And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful place to segue into a song that's about not being a dick. Uh, this Westies, this is Echoes Down the Road. Okay, so there you go. That was a long ride we just took you on. If you're still listening, then thank you. 
you know, maybe you're along for this ride with us. If you, if you've turned us off, well, we don't know it, but we still love you too. And we hope you'll come back. Uh, how about that, Lance? Is it easier for you to tell someone who's not listening that you love them? Cause they never hear it. Now you smile and nod and you wait for your opportunity. You're supposed to save all the deep stuff from, for before the song, Tom. Because <laughs> now, now we're just, we've switched to commercials. All right. Well, I have another deep comment going, <laughs> thinking about the next episode. Okay, go. You said earlier that the winners write history. Well, I think the next song is a view from the loser's perspective, but they think they're winning. Let's think about oh, that that's for the deep. next you know what? episode. I'm tracking with it, and I think you're spot on. And next episode, we will be diving in to Voyeuristic Symphony. Final song of the album. The final song of the album. No other song could have closed this album. It was always going to close the album. It's a hill I was going to die on to make sure it would close the album. And the lyrics to that one, well, it probably won't go on as long as this episode did, which it was necessary, but man, there's some good stuff in Voyeuristic Symphony. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I remember that we actually had a conversation on some of this. I, I th- finally threw in the towel and went, okay, dude, you got to tell me what some of this stuff means because I just, I just don't, I don't even get it. And I'll save what I thought uh, the song was about when we get into it, but I was way off. <laughs> yeah, th- that one actually has uh, some, a handful of objective things in it, which I know that contradicts what I just talked about for like 90 minutes. Uh, <laughs> But thank you guys for being on this journey with us. 10 episodes and, you know, a lot of you are still here. We're, we're looking at the numbers for the episodes and we're very encouraged. Uh, they get better every week. And we thank you so much for the honor and the privilege, you know, that you're spending your time to, to listen to a bunch of musicians, you know, talk about how they created art. Uh, it's just, it, it's wonderful. So if you haven't already, hit subscribe uh, wherever you're listening to us and follow the podcast so those new episodes keep showing up every Monday. You can find us all over the place. We are on Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal and anywhere you listen to music, you can find West of House. We're on Bandcamp at westofhouse.bandcamp.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under West of House Band. And we are even on YouTube, and we would encourage you to go there, watch some videos, and subscribe. Yes. So, guys, any anything to say in closing before we we put everyone to bed? Don't be a dick. <laughs> and Lance has Lance wants to tell everybody that he loves them. I, but I do. He just can't bring himself to do no, it. No, I do love and, everyone. And everyone else wants to say, "Shut up, Tommy." Yep. <laughs> <laughs> more people get on you're so my, new and you, you mean oh. nickel every time you tell me to shut up that's my catchphrase you gotta coin that phrase uh, yeah <laughs> I, I think a shirt that. i want a shirt that just says shut up tommy shut up tommy we'll make it <laughs> so from the guys in west of house from tommy and kevin and dave and lance and myself thank you we wish you a wonderful day and we will see you next week serial person like killer i work on i work on this i 
execute it with excellence, then I go to this, then I go to this. And some people are serial, some people are parallel. No shame in either one. I, I like serial. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's... Nothing like crashing a podcast with a bad dad joke. All right.